This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Buongiorno, oh. amici. <laughs> ciao, ciao, ciao. Hi. I don't. I didn't know buongiorno. <laughs> yeah, I forgot it already. No, we're jumping right in. You forgot buongiorno? I guess so. After our many, many days in Italy? I sure did. Five years ago? <laughs> yeah. Almost exactly. Well, five years in a month. All I remember is you go- going up to a lady and saying, mi dispiace, <laughs> to say I'm sorry. Mi dispiace. Mi dispiace. And she immediately said, what do you want in English? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "That's yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, dispiace is sorry, but apparently I learned since then that is not widely used. Oh. It's more scusi, scusami. Mm-hmm, scusi, yeah. You know. Hey, everybody. Hey. Well, welcome back to the show. I'm Eli. I'm Diana. And we're here with another amazing episode to bring to you today, an epic tale of romance Mm -hmm. against all odds. Yeah. Uh, You know, some really, right in the heart of Italy. And where where else? Heart of Italy and also 50s Hollywood glam. Oh, man. Forget it. Come on. Yeah, this is all the ingredients (laughs) for a a very spicy meatball (laughs) of romance. Uh, There's going to be a lot of bad Italian accents today. 
Um, but it's okay. Yeah. My family is largely Italian. Most of my dad's side. <laughs> most of so my dad's cool. side is Italian, despite somewhere along the way, some somebody married a Banks oh. and got that British last name for some reason. <laughs> I tell you, I have I have grandmothers whose last names were, if I'm getting this right, Scrudato, Shimento, and Del Bagno. Ooh. So a lot of cool Italian cool names. names. yeah. And I mean, you know, Banks has been... It's it's my name. I love it. But uh, sometimes I'm like, come on. I could have had a cool last <laughs> name like Del Bagno. Di- very different flair, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Different mouth feel. Right. <laughs> I always complain that I... <laughs> my my mom's side of the family is like tall, pale, Scottish, Irish people. Mm-hmm. And my dad's side of the family is like short, olive-skinned Italians. <laughs> and guess what I got? <laughs> short and pale. <laughs> like, y'all really screwed up there. Gotta not trade these jeans know, out. right? If I could just do a little swappy swap, oh like God. Gattaca style. Oh, if I got that Irish height mm-hmm. with that Mediterranean skin... Totally in that. I'd hair. be unstoppable. Keep your eyes though. Wherever they come from. All right. Yeah, we'll keep the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> nice to know you'd keep part of me the just same. The, just the one part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, romance is blooming here tonight. I'm ridiculous <laughs> romance. Our marriage is going great. Going great. Things are good. <laughs> Really, really showing each other a lot mm-hmm. about what we really think. Oh <laughs> uh, well, uh, let's uh, let's dive in with. We haven't checked the bag in a while. What do you say? Yeah. Should we look into it? I think yeah. I think we've got a mail call. Awesome. Yeah, Randy Jensen, a sixth grade teacher in Denmark, reached out on Instagram after our Lily Elbe and Gerda Wegener episode. So uh, that's cool. Yeah, Got sixth someone grade from Denmark. teacher <laughs> in Denmark. Yeah. Randy wrote, thank you so much for your podcast. The laws in Denmark these days still make it difficult for trans people. Mm. We all have social security numbers and male numbers and an uneven and female and even numbers. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. They have social security, like their number correlates to their gender. Yeah. We don't have that. No. Ours I think, is just. I think by state there's some coding oh, okay. by state, but yeah. otherwise. That's interesting. I'm not sure. And Randy says, you can change gender, but it is such a hard process for the person involved. We're such a bureaucratic society, mostly to keep people safe. But sometimes those boxes make it hard for people who don't match them. Mm, Yeah. Generally, we are open minded and mostly woke. But we did get into the latest feminism wave very late, which also impacts LGBTQ plus views in public. Interesting. Which, I mean, you know, we did talk about the Nazis came through and totally. Yeah decimated all of that type of shit for really? a very long time I and mean, for for a decade or more. Oh yeah. And so it's it like set the conversation so far back. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of no wonder that maybe that would take a minute. Yeah. And uh yeah, it goes on to say that some of their students still have sexist and homophobic views, but they're trying their best to teach open mindedness. Good. Good. So good luck uh, from us, Randy, on that Absolutely. task, yeah. teaching open-mindedness is incredibly important. It is very important and difficult. And difficult, yeah. Also, yeah, I'm so, it's so interesting about the social security numbers. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how it works here. If uh, uh, listeners send us in your social security number, <laughs> and uh, we will uh, we'll do a little independent study here and try and figure out 
uh, what we can. Yeah, your gender and your yeah <laughs> social security number. Yeah, include some other details as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. know, just so we have, you know, we we can measure all the data. Uh, what you other know, details? Mothers' maiden names. Oh. Um, I suppose you know what I'd be, you lived. I'd be curious if uh, like your banking info corresponds to your social security wow. numbers. So wow. yeah, just send all that, <laughs> type it up, shoot it over in an email. You think I heard I heard it's going to be cool with us turning this into a big scam? <laughs> okay, I think our lawyers have just informed me. Our lawyers, Ooh. by the way, is Hobbs, oh. the dog. Uh, he says. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't send me your social security numbers or your bank account information or any personal info you don't want shared. Wow. Hobbs is a good lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> That's uh, very good advice. He's been paying attention. He should put. He should draw up a will next. <laughs> <laughs> I bequeath all my bones <laughs> to me. That's how it works. <laughs> Maybe he's not a very good lawyer. He's not very, good. <laughs> very narrow fields of study. need to go back to the bar. <laughs> Well, that's all very exciting. Thank you, Randy, for writing in. Mm-hmm. So glad people are enjoying that episode. Yeah. Um, if you haven't heard it yet, go check out that two-parter about Lily Elb and Gerda Wegener because it's really fascinating and beautiful mm-hmm. story. Yeah. Today, we've got a totally different story. This one, a name you've surely heard. Mm-hmm. Ms. I hope. Sophia Loren. Oh. She is an Academy Award-winning actress from Italy with nearly 100 acting credits to her name between 1950 and today. She navigated the international film market as a compelling, beautiful, and hilarious comedic actress while weathering scandal after scandal and constant scrutiny from the media in her personal affairs. Her husband was the Italian producer Carlo Ponti, a man that tabloids joked was, quote, twice her age and half her height. (laughs) But through it all, Sophia and Carlos stood together against the Hollywood establishment, the American press, and not one, but two popes. Two popes? Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, toe-to-toe with the popes. So this is a very exciting story, epic sweeping romance, and I say we jump right in. Let's do this. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. Okay, so flashing a little further back in time, in 1932... A woman named Romilda Villani entered a contest in Italy to find the perfect lookalike for the famous actress Greta Garbo. Mm. Now, MGM had put the contest together to try and find someone who could work as a stand-in for the starlet. And the grand prize for winning this was a ticket to Hollywood for a screen test. (laughs) (laughs) If you look enough like Greta Garbo... We'll fly out here to just make sure. Yeah, for real. If not, we'll send you back and you probably got to buy your own plane ticket home. Probably, right? It's not no round trip ticket. Uh-huh. It's kind of like American Idol where you right. audition to go to Hollywood. They're like, you're going to Hollywood. And then you get there and then you have to win. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. So Romilda was a gifted pianist. She had graduated from a conservatory with honors, and she was a very talented actress. She was beautiful. And she won first place as the Italian Garbo. 
But the problem was, Romilda's only 17 years old at the time, so her parents had to give approval for her to take this trip to Hollywood. And they did not. <laughs> no. They were definitely like, no, 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 no. America, that's uh, it's too dangerous for a piccolo ragazzo like you. It's, uh, it's a very tiny girl. It's no good. Wow. Over <laughs> you know, talking with their hands. Right, 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 right. You know, spoonful of gnocchi slapped on the plate. <laughs> you keep eating. You're not going to Hollywood. Not that you finish your plate. And then not at all. <laughs> So when Romilda turned 18, she moved to Rome to try and break into the burgeoning film business there. And that's when she met Riccardo Ciccolone, a construction engineer who'd been, like, hanging around the set. Okay. And this guy had, like, a tendency to lurk around the fringes of show business and try to pick up actresses. Oh, one of those. Um, Yeah, he would promise big career opportunities and stardom and stuff, but didn't really, couldn't deliver. You necessarily know, uh, that kind of life. <laughs> boy, that I mean, this is the, this is the early days of Hollywood, and I mean, surely that's been happening in all forms of show business since oh, the dawn yeah, of time. Absolutely. But I just, you know, just immediately they're like, "Hey, let's make movies," and then all these creeps run in, and they're like, Ugh, "Time to start promising young girls a, a opportunity." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just so I can sleep with them once and then never see them again. Like, it's got to be so hard because if somebody comes up to you and is like, "I can." give you the opportunities no one else has, like, I mean, you got to consider it, right? Sure. Because there's a 1% chance that this person might actually do that for you. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you're if you're a good enough scam artist, you can mm-hmm. make it look like you really got some connections or some kind of, I don't know, some kind of power. Yeah. And how are you supposed to be able to tell the difference between a real agent and a fake one? Right. At that point in time, right. it was pretty hard to tell. Right. I think the real agents were also pretty skeezy, <laughs> right? It can be hard now, too. But as I understand yeah. it, you know, if you're going to be an actor, Hollywood, Atlanta, New York, wherever you're going, vet everybody. Yeah, right. <laughs> ask questions. Mm-hmm. Ask them questions. Ask everyone you know questions about this person. Yeah. Don't fall for a Ricardo Chicolone. Don't fall for Ricardo Chicolone. <laughs> we need to have like bumper stickers made. <laughs> no Chicolones. No Chicolones here. Well, Not today, Chicolone. <laughs> there might be very nice Chicolones out there. So I don't want to. I know, right? Sorry to any good Chicolones <laughs> who are promising real opportunities to young women out there in the world. <laughs> uh, well, this guy was not a great Chicolone. <laughs> He totally conned Romilda into thinking that he was some power player in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did start sleeping together. One day she found out she was pregnant, at, like like it happens when you yeah. start sleeping with somebody. Yeah. And so she went to him basically being like, Hey, Ricardo, I got a little pizza pie in the <laughs> oven. Let's get married. Oh, no. <laughs> and he says... Oh, no. <laughs> oh, is he Waluigi? <laughs> yes. yes, I think that he looks like Waluigi. <laughs> I think he looks like Waluigi. And he says, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> that's a spicy meatball. Oh, my I God. forgot I left my mozzarella and my Fiat, and I got to go. <laughs> Fiat. Oh. Or something like that. Yeah. You know, I'm sure it was pretty close to what he said. Yeah, I'm sure. And- <laughs> <laughs> and definitely how he said it. And he basically, he left her alone to have this baby by herself. And he skedaddled off somewhere. Oh, boy. Just, just disclaimer, we love Italy so much. <laughs> really, a lot of my family 
and some of our fondest memories. <laughs> I know, I'm very sorry. All around Italy. Mario and we love Kart. the Italian people for our for our Super Mario Italian accent. This is just if 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 Mario was telling the story of yes. Spieleren. Yes. Hey, it's good. This has got to be better than whatever Chris Pratt's going to do, right? <laughs> sure, right? I mean, go on. <laughs> so on September 20th of 1934, Romilda gave birth to this child. It was Sofia Velani Chicalone. She was born at the Clinica Regina Margarita, which I have translated to the Queen's Clinic of Basil and Tomatoes. <laughs> I don't think that's accurate. Um, but Romilda had to move back with her parents where she could raise this child because obviously she was unmarried. She didn't have a lot of prospects. And this was in a town called Pozzuoli. And this is a coastal town just outside of Naples. And Romilda worked there as a piano instructor. Four years later, Ricardo Chicolone tried to get back together with Romilda and she got pregnant again. Come on, Romilda. And she had a daughter named Maria. Pop quiz for our listeners at home. Diana, you can be their substitute here. (laughs) Did Ricardo, A, use this opportunity to make amends for his earlier behavior, marry Romilda, and accept responsibility for his children? Mm. Or B, deny the kid, leave Romilda to raise her on her own, and more or less disappear until the family was wealthy and he needed money? I'm going to say B. Yes, that's the the saddest correct answer of all time. (laughs) Yes. I knew he it. sucked. He left. Um, the family was struggling to survive in Pozzuoli. This is actually an important harbor town, and they were bombed very heavily during World War II. Oh. At one point, while the family was running to a shelter for cover, shrapnel sent Sophia flying and split open her chin, leaving a lifetime scar. And the family was starving throughout this and and well after. For five years, they lived in long stretches without food or water or electricity. During the famine, Romilda had to siphon condensation off of a car radiator just to get water for her daughters. Do you think like when you're scraping like fucking drops of dew into a little vial or something that you're just like, have we regressed to cave people or something again? Because... Cool, Just, glad y'all got your war. Yeah. So Romilda is a complete badass, obviously. She's mm-hmm. making it work. She's scraping the water off the radiator and keeping everyone alive. And after the war, they opened a pub in their living room where Romilda played piano while Maria sang and Sophia waited tables. So it's pretty innovative. We have an entrepreneur in our midst. There you go. And as things start to turn around for them, Romilda decides she wants her daughter to have the opportunities that she did not have. So she moved with family to Rome and got Sophia into beauty pageants. Now, Sophia had been small and weak looking after the famine right. and everything. And kids in her school even nicknamed her Stuzzicadente, which means toothpick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, Sophia, you're looking like a piece of fettuccine. <laughs> <laughs> So skinny. Uh, But when she turned 14, like overnight, she suddenly sprung up. She got super tall and statuesque, and she started to look like, you know, Sophia Loren, (laughs) (laughs) famously beautiful woman. And she won her first beauty pageant that year. The prize was a little cash and some free wallpaper, (laughs) 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 which she put in her grandparents' living room. (laughs) They were just like, 
Uh, what do we got lying around here? Uh, uh, you want the beauty pageant? Here's um, here's uh, some wallpaper and uh, uh, here's some old bottle caps I got in my pocket. Uh, here's a half a calzone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how much cash do I have? Twenty-seven dollars and. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> And in 1950, when Sofia was 15, under the stage name Sofia Lazaro, she won Miss Elegance in the Miss Italia pageant. Oh, yeah. Oh, Miss Elegance. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. And shortly after this, she and Romelda both started picking up bit parts in films at Cinecita, which was this big film studio in Rome, started by Italy's own Benito Mussolini. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, famed uh, film creator. Yeah, the, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, famed filmmaker Benito Mussolini. He did oh, other stuff, man. I think, but that's the main thing. <laughs> and he actually founded it not just to make propaganda films, although that was definitely definitely part of the reason yes. but he actually was trying to make italy i mean he was trying to give italy some industry right, you know, some right. kind of revenue and gross domestic product and they were trying to be the european answer to hollywood right that was 1937 right that mussolini started this film studio so this is some time later that sophia's getting involved in 1950 yeah. well by the time sophia was 16 people in the industry had been pushing her to start taking acting classes and there, that same year, she entered another beauty pageant, and the panel of judges included a 37-year-old film producer named Carlo Ponti. Carlo Ponti was a lawyer initially, and he used to negotiate contracts for other filmmakers. But this got him interested in producing himself, and by 1940, he ended up being a central figure in trying to build up a film industry in Milan. He even produced a period film that year called Old Fashioned World, which was about this struggle between Italy and Austria in the 1800s during Italy's unification. And the film was hugely popular because people saw it, it as, as it was, a direct and obvious parallel to how the Nazis were treating Italy. And he was even briefly jailed around this time for undermining relations with Nazi Germany. Of course, around here, we applaud anyone who undermines relations with Nazi Germany. Way to go, Carlo. Yes. Yes. Carlo, very heavily anti-fascist, was not into it Mm -hmm. um, at a time in Italy where uh, I think you were one or the other. Right. As I understand it. Kind of going strong. Yeah. So in 1946, Carlo married a woman named Giuliana Fiestri. And in 1950, they had a daughter named Gwendolina. Then in 1951, as a leading figure in Italy's film industry, he got a phone call from a friend that was like, Hey, Carlo, you want to come be the judge for the pretty ladies? (laughs) And he says yes. He goes and he takes on this, this, you know, honor to be a judge in this pageant. And he's watching all these ladies come out. He's like, hey, here's a Romana... Here's Romana Fettuccini. Here's uh, <laughs> here's Roberta Bianco. Here's uh, here's uh, Esmeralda Desdemona. Whatever. Uh, and he's like, yes, yes, see, 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 lady, lady. And then out steps Sofia Lazaro, and suddenly Carlos sees her, and just the moon hits his eye like a big pizza pie. Oh. And he just thought that she was the most amazing. 16-year-old girl he'd ever seen in his 37 years on this planet. Goo. Pretty gross. Uncomfortable start to this romance. Not great. 
Carlo did kind of get obsessed with her, but at first it was all professional. He thought she was just going to be the next big thing. Right. He thought she had it, you know, she had that certain something that made a star or whatever. And he figured that the sky was the limit if she just had the right guidance. Right. Not a not a shikalone. Right, right. <laughs> so he helped her navigate the film industry and he got her minor roles in more and more movies. She started taking acting classes and rubbing elbows with industry giants. Mm. And all the while, she's like enthralled by Carlo's knowledge and guidance and kindness. She later said of him, I felt at home with him. I was terribly young and he gave me confidence. Each time I did something that he liked, he would always say, you should always do that. And yes, this gave me confidence. He was protective and he took my insecurities away. Yes. He looked and sounded like he would take care of me, which no other man had done. Totally get. I mean, her dad friggin' oh, yeah. dipped out twice. Absolutely, and yeah. And left her mom to be scraping water off a car radiator, so. Yeah. yeah. This is a girl <laughs> very, very interested in a father figure. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, at, least a, at least a male presence. Yeah, that's like comforting and yeah. not like adding to your work and right, stress. Right, right. Like, she's like, what if, what's this guy that like takes care of you and makes right. life easier. Where's yeah, that guy? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he seems to be that he was just very affirming and kind, and he didn't seem to be trying to get into, you know, her pantalone <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, in 1953, he had a second child with his wife, a son they called Alex. Mm. Things, things are working things, out okay with that? Things might be working out okay, or or they're having a baby to save their marriage. I well, don't know. It could, it could go either way. Yes. Speculation stage. <laughs> that same year, 1953, Sophia is hanging out with Carlo and another producer named Geoffrey Lombardo, and they're all talking about how Sophia can finally just break through and really show everybody what she got, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, any day now, we, we gotta, there's, we're right up at the finish line. We just need to cross it. And they they came up with this idea for a name change. Sofia Lazaro was, you know, a bit part actress in Italy. She was, that's who you get. If you yeah. need somebody to play this small part, you get Sofia Lazaro. She's very funny. She's very mm-hmm. pretty. They needed Everybody a rebrand. They want yeah, a rebrand. exactly. Mm. They needed something global, a new person. So Lombardo starts thinking, hey, you know, the, the F in Sofia, it's, uh, you know, it's a two Italian. The English speaking people, they love the PH. <laughs> They love it. They love it up here. Telephone, you know, uh, 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 philosophy. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's always a PH with them. So let's uh, make it Sophia with a PH. Mm. And Carlo's like, yeah, yeah, that's a good. That's a good. I like this. Uh, and Lazaro, this gotta go. It sounds like uh, it sounds like it sounds like something I ordered at the coffee shop. You know, I'll take a venti Lazaro. You know, hot or iced. So there's this very popular Swedish actress at the time named Marta Torren. So they decide, let's spin that name a little bit, and they welcomed to the world a movie star named Sophia Loren. Oh, wow. <laughs> what a thought process for that, know. that name. Right? And in 1953, she starred in her breakout role in a film adaptation of the popular opera Aida, where she played Aida, the Ethiopian princess. Oh. And yeah, it's bad. I mean, you know, you can look it up, but... It, She's wearing a lot of bronzer, uh, and it's yeah. not good. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll go ahead and blame that on the producers for not making the same effort to make a black actress famous with a part that would be perfect for a black actress. You know, I mean, they could have just been looking around for that year's Zazie Beats, but no, 
that put so much work into making Sophia Loren famous, they could have put half that effort, you know, just just, found a black actress and been like, hey, you should play Aida in this movie. Yeah. But no. No, no, no. They couldn't. They They had to darken Sophia Loren's skin. Very uncomfortable. Bad, bad, bad. And the singing was dubbed by this superstar, Renata Tibaldi. And another actress had actually turned down the part because she didn't want to be dubbed. To which Sophia answered, quote, I couldn't afford to be so proud. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you're starting out and you're like, yeah, dub me. I mean, that's is what you a privilege, do. you <laughs> yeah, know exactly. what I mean? <laughs> it's like this is my first movie. <laughs> At this point, I just need the money. I already got to deal with the blackface, you know? Like... <laughs> I mean, for real, like, ooh. <laughs> oh, man. Well, speaking of appearances and appropriateness, uh-huh. Sophia started to get a taste at this point for how the film industry is infested with misogynistic dick bags <laughs> because cameramen started saying, and I'm telling you this is true. I, I've had a hard time wrapping my brain around it, but cameramen started saying of her that Sophia Loren wasn't pretty enough to be a star. They said her mouth was too wide and her chin was too broad. And her nose was too big. What? Sophia Loren. I just want to make sure everybody knows who we're talking about here. And they said she was not attractive enough to be a movie star. And one day, Carlo came to her and said, quote, You know, the cameramen, they say that your nose is too long. Maybe you have to touch it a little bit. To which Sophia replied, quote, I don't want to touch nothing on my face because I like my face. If I have to change my nose, I'm going back to Pozzuoli. <laughs> nice. Yes. She just gave him that Italian you know attitude. What? She's like, don't you fucking talk about my nose. Okay. And also her nose is small. Like she doesn't it's have not, a big nose. No. What She's got a beautiful about? nose. Yeah. I, I like your face too, Sophia Loren. Right. Like what the fuck? Yeah. They, she said like that everyone was looking for the this French, little French turned up nose around that time. And she said, can you imagine my face with one of those noses? No. No, I can't. No. Because your face is perfect. Yeah. Just feel her in. That's how they do, though. They they oh, give yeah. you some real unrealistic shit. Like yep. with Judy Garland, they were just kept being like, you need to be thinner and thinner oh and thinner. I mean, they basically wanted a skeleton in a dress. Right. could sing. I right. I was like, people have skin and like fat and sinew. Right. Like you're, you're <laughs> literally wasting these women away yeah. to nothing. Yeah. Looking for something that can't be a thing. Like that's not a. Anyway, Ugh. Ugh, so I'm glad Sophia at least knew that she had a pretty fucking face. She, and she was like, guns, you know yeah. what? I'm keeping my face the yeah. way it is. And she was like, if you don't like it, then I'm going home. Yeah. Fine. I'll take my nose and I'll leave. You know, home where I won multiple beauty pageants. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> True. But around this time, she's 19. And despite Nosegate, Sophia starts to realize that she is in love with Carlo. Oh, And they grew closer and closer until they were practically inseparable. And soon their affair started. She felt like nobody really saw her like he did. And she wrote that he saw her, quote, reserved personality, difficult past, and great longing to be successful seriously and with passion. Rachel Grebin writes in Propeller magazine that Sophia's passion and intensity is clear in her movies, With her focus and intensity showing a woman who was at a certain level acting as if her life depends on it. Mm -hmm. And Carlo was her mentor and manager, but he was also incredibly supportive and validating. So, you know, it's tough with these 
age disparities. Right. Especially when Carlo is clearly a mentor in in a mentor position yeah. with her. You know, if their relationship was happening today, there would probably be a con- some kind of conversation around oh, whether sure. or not he groomed her from a young age to fall in love with him or something like that. And that, I mean, I think it's, it would be fair to ask that. Oh, yeah. But anyway, that that will come up again. We'll probably get more into that as we go. But right now they're just in love and they're having a wonderful affair and everything is great and they want to be together. But they couldn't just run off into the sunset. Right. Live happily ever after. Because even though Carlo's marriage was indeed already falling apart and he and his wife both amicably wanted to be separated. But Italy, uh, if you haven't heard, is super Catholic. No way. Yeah. Some say that, like, you know. Maybe the most Catholic. The most Catholic place. (laughs) And at this time, divorce is very illegal. The Vatican just flat out would not allow it. And Sophia herself was a very traditional Catholic, not so much religious. She was a religious but not deeply religious person, but she was a very traditional person. Mm -hmm. And she also came from a very fractured family, and she did not want the same to happen to her. She wanted stability and tradition. They both wanted to be married. Meanwhile, they also both wanted Sophia to take the next step in her acting career and go to America to make big Hollywood movies. So coming up, we'll find out if Sophia and Carlo managed to get married and the very, very famous Hollywood side piece that almost derailed them. Uh Uh-oh. So we'll be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And welcome back to the show. So Carlo and Sophia are going strong, and as much as they tried to keep their relationship out of the spotlight, of course, rumors are flying, tabloids are desperate to put them in headlines as often as possible, and, you know, just gossip rags. <laughs> right. Because, I mean, this is a rising international superstar, and a man 21 years older than her who was already married, so, you know, is page six fodder for days oh, and yeah. days and days and yeah. days. And Carlo actually proposed to Sophia in secret in 1954 and gave her like a big fat diamond ring but Sophia was still kind of depressed because she so desperately wanted like a legitimate marriage and family yeah. it's like all this secrecy and running around was just not sexy for her she didn't like that shit yeah. it, w- it wasn't the vibe she was going for but they continued on as best they could in both their relationship and their careers Carlo helped Sophia get English-speaking lessons, and now she's finally starting to get some real international recognition as a leading lady. And this led to her getting the lead role in the 1957 movie The Pride and the Passion, opposite two big Hollywood stars, Frank Sinatra and Cary Grant. And that brings us right into this episode's side piece. Action. Oh, yeah. Frank Sinatra and Cary Grant. When I think those names, I think uh, treating women well and uh, <laughs> fidelity. Yeah. You know, yep. really strong moral character. Constancy. That's what I think of. <laughs> so this film, The Pride and the Passion, is an American Hollywood movie, but they're shooting in Spain. The rumors are that Frank Sinatra wanted to be closer to his wife, Ava Gardner, who was shooting The Sun Also Rises in Spain at the time, and they were having a rough time in their marriage. So Frank was like, let's let's shoot in Spain so I can be close to her, maybe try and salvage this thing. Mm. Meanwhile, Cary Grant was like, yeah, sounds great. Let's shoot in Spain because he was trying to get some distance from his <laughs> wife, who was his third wife, actress and writer Betsy Drake. Damn, that's so funny. Oh, I know, <laughs> one right? wants to be closer, one wants to be further away. It all worked out great. <laughs> that's just so Hollywood, isn't it? <laughs> so suddenly, this 22-year-old Sophia Loren finds herself being charmed and enchanted by Cary Grant, who is actually 30 years older than her. So he's even older than her than Carlo Ponti is. Oh, wow. He's 52 at this point. She wrote in her autobiography that Carrie won her over with good manners and excitement and, quote, a zest for life. She said it was fortunate that they were staying in two separate hotels because that kept some distance between them. Because mm. she was like, I tried to keep a certain distance. She's like, I wasn't trying to get too involved. 
but I did kind of like this guy. You know, he was very charming. She had this kind of schoolgirl crush on him. And they talked and found out that they had a lot in common. They had a rough upbringing. They were swept up by the film industry that very much changed, you know, who who they were. He actually also changed his name early on to Cary Grant. Mm -hmm. Do you know do you know his original name? No. It's very British. Oh, is it like Engelbert Humperdinck type British? Archibald Leach. Archibald Leach. Yep. Yeah, that sounds like a kid's book series. Yeah. <laughs> like a detective, Archibald Leach. Arch Archibald Leach is on the case. <laughs> yes. Yes, totally. <laughs> and he solves everything by asking a single question. <laughs> yeah, he was a London stage actor before going to Hollywood. Oh, you know, okay. He was, and he was Archibald Leach in England, and then they were like, that's not going to work yeah, over here. <laughs> that's not sexy. <laughs> like, what's the most American name you can think of? How about... <laughs> Carrie Grant. We'll give you two men's names. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Carrie and Grant. Carrie Grant said that sometimes he felt like his on-screen persona started to infect his personality. Mm. He once said, quote, I pretended to become a certain type of man on screen, and I became that man in life. I became Carrie Grant. Right. Which makes more sense that it's not even his real name. Yeah. It's like he's like, I'm Archibald Leach from London. Yeah. And now I'm Cary Grant. That's he, totally different. Yeah. He's like, I turned into the, you know, I he, he always played like playboys and mm -hmm. wealthy men and, you know, you know, just shelling out cash and sailing on yachts and stuff. And he's like, I, I turned into that guy kind of. Hmm. It kind of shows, that, you know, Hollywood can 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 screw people up in all kinds of different ways. I mean, it can make a really normal person into kind of a sleazebag. That's true. And well, and it kind of shows that you do have to sort of play a character in order to operate yeah. in Hollywood, even yeah. just in normal life and yeah. everyday interactions. You yeah. still have to be Cary Grant or wh yep. whomever you are. Mm -hmm. And like that can really skew shit. You know, they talk about like cops going undercover and getting too getting in too deep, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. It changed their personality and now they're one of the mafia guys or whatever. Uh -huh. But like you don't ever think about that with like actors who really yeah. or or anyone famous who literally has to have a different personality right. in order like a public persona. Exactly. And it might kind of like take over and glom onto For sure. what used to be there. For sure. Happened to me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I used to be very different than the, the character that hosts this show. But <laughs> since we've started, I've really found myself morphing into him oh, really? more and more. Yeah. What's different? Oh, you know, um, I sit down a lot more. <laughs> That's the main thing. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> but yeah, but so Sophia at this time is so vulnerable. I mean, she could still barely speak English at this point. I mean, this was her first English speaking movie. So actually, her lines were written out phonetically on cue cards for her to read while they were filming. Oh, wow. So that she could get it, you know, pronunciations right and stuff. So he's over here playing Cary Grant in real life, a handsome playboy handing out expensive gifts and mm -hmm. stuff, you know, and she's feeling kind of out of her element right. in the middle of this Hollywood set, trying to speak a language she doesn't speak, you yep. know. So, of course, she's turning to him for comfort. You know, of course, she's she's like, yes, let me, you know, curl up in this powerful man's embrace. Yeah. <laughs> and let him take care of me. So the pride and the passion wraps shooting, but Carrie's not ready to say goodbye to Sophia. His wife, Betsy Drake, had written a screenplay called Houseboat, which they were supposed to star in together, Betsy and Carrie. Mm. Instead, Carrie Grant pulls this shit. He goes to the producers and he says, I want Sophia in that part instead. 
and they end up rewriting the script, recasting his wife with Sophia, and ultimately, Betsy got zero credit as a screenwriter. Ah. Yes. Yes, children. Boo. That's right. This is a bad man. Lame. I gotta say, I love Cary Grant, the actor. (laughs) Right? I mean, Arsenic and Old Lace is one of the funniest movies, and he is... (laughs) amazing in it but uh but he's he sucks <laughs> he's, <laughs> the not, Grant, the he's not good with women and again it's you could go back and say well look what this industry turned him into but you know there's a certain level of personal responsibility as well sure so anyway they're shooting this movie houseboat and their affair starts heating up in fact the director of houseboat melville shavelson later complained that Carrie and Sophia's sexual tension made the movie really difficult to shoot. (laughs) And the Hollywood gossip columns were like all over this. So they're all up in their face all the time, too. When Sophia first arrived in Hollywood, there was a huge reception in her honor at this like hot, fancy restaurant, you know, the hot spot or whatever. And the paparazzi was swarming around. Everyone's trying to get a glimpse of this new Italian bombshell. But a more established actress, Jane Mansfield, showed up in this ridiculously low-cut dress. Oh like, God. it is barely clearing the nipples. Barely. Like, it is very low-cut. Yeah. She's, like, spilling out all over the place. And there's this famous picture of the two of them with Jane laughing, Sophia sitting next to her and, like, totally side-eyeing her cleavage. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's an amazing picture. It's very Google funny. Jane Mansfield and Sophia Loren. Her face says it all. Yes. She, Sophia later said, quote, she came right from my table. She knew everyone was watching. She sat down. Look at the picture. Where are my eyes? I'm staring at her nipples because I'm afraid they're going to come onto my plate. I'm so frightened that everything in her dress is going to blow boom and spill all over the table. <laughs> you can see it. You can see that in her eyes. You can see it. She's, She's like, like, oh, God. <laughs> this is not the kind of attention I was looking for tonight. Uh-huh. But historians agree that this was totally a calculated move by Jane Mansfield, Mm -hmm. who at the time, you know, was like an ingenue. So to Jane, she's like, oh, here comes this busty sex object and she's going to snatch up all the roles, busty sex object roles that I want for some reason. (laughs) Even though Sophia had all previously only been in comedies. So she wasn't like an ingenue leading woman at this point in her career. Uh, Vanity Fair writes to quote, Jane Mansfield was there to prove that there were already homegrown sex goddesses in residence. And Sophia could tell that she was trying to kind of like fuck with her a little bit. Right, right. Sophia also knew that in Hollywood, Italian people were only waiters or gangsters. Right. So she, she knew she was up against some real obstacles. Yeah. Yeah. One being Jane Mansfield's tip. Yeah. <laughs> and another and another being uh racism. <laughs> right. Or xenophobia at xenophobia, least. Xenophobia, yeah. yeah. So they start shooting Houseboat and Cary Grant is really trying to make this thing work with Sophia. He starts suggesting to her that they should pray together for guidance about whether they should leave their respective partners for each other. One letter he sent her read, quote, Sophia, you'll be in my prayers. If you think and pray with me. For the same thing and purpose, all will be right and life will be good. And he sends her flowers almost every day. And she found in him something very similar to what attracted her to Carlo, this guiding, thoughtful older man who had turned his focus entirely towards her well-being. Hmm. 
before she arrived in America to shoot Houseboat, he wrote to her saying, This is probably the most important year of your life. Spend it thoughtfully, dear face. In these next months, you will create lasting impressions by which you'll be judged and remembered all your life. And he gave her two gold bracelets and told her she should always wear them because they would keep her safe. But you know what? She actually took his advice to heart because she knew she was going to be judged all her life for this. Yeah, just like he said. Yeah. Yeah. Cary Grant got closer and closer with her. Eventually, they started talking about marriage. There's rumors that he proposed on set, on the set of Houseboat. Mm -hmm. But Sophia has since denied that. Yeah. Um, But ultimately, she turned him down because she still wanted to marry Carlo Ponti. Yeah. She said a lot about this over the years, and part of her decision was the threat of scandal. She said, quote, the American press had been very cruel to Ingrid Bergman when she left her husband for Italian director Roberto Rossellini, and I was terribly afraid of what the reaction would have been if I had left Italy. Right. And her Italian home was also a very big part of her choice as well. Um, because Cary Grant... You know, it's sort of like if she's marrying Cary Grant, she's sort of like, now I'm an American. I live in in Hollywood with Cary Grant. Right. And that's it. But if she was with Carlo, she would still have a very strong tie to her home country. They would probably live in Italy. You know, so it felt almost seems like a choice between not only two men, but also two different lifestyles. Two different parts of the globe, like a lot of different, different considerations. Yeah. And yeah, she said in Hollywood, she was really fatigued by the film circuit there. She said all she ever talked about was cinema with everyone she knew. She said, quote, I missed my country, steeped in history, wit, humanity. Ordinary people just didn't seem to exist in Hollywood. She told Vanity Fair, quote, Carlo was Italian. He belonged to my world. I know it was the right thing for me to do. Yeah. So she gave Cary Grant the boot. Although they did remain close friends throughout their life, so he didn't take it too personally. That's good. Uh, reports were that he was a little upset when she found out that she and Carlo were getting married, but he's, you know, he was okay. They mm-hmm. were friends. Mm-hmm. And she decided for sure, yes, Carlo, I need to marry him. I'm going to make this life happen. Yeah. But not so fast. There's still Carlo's marriage to Juliana Fiastri to worry about. Yeah. And they would have to go toe to toe with the Pope himself to make it work. What a disaster. <laughs> I see. <laughs> so we are going to pick a fight with the Pope right after this commercial break. How do you like that, sponsors? We're going to pick a fight with the Pope. I know, right? <laughs> From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back and ready to take on another supreme religious leader in the name of love. <laughs> you know how we do. <laughs> yeah, we here love on this show. <laughs> well, they keep getting in the way. I know, right? Come you know, on, guys. Sorwana? Bunch Seriously. of religious leaders in the way of that one. Tons. Also popes, actually, yeah. in that one. Oh, true. Well, in 1957, Carlo thought he had it all figured out. His lawyers were working overtime now to get them married. And Speculation Station, I think maybe this is because, like, you know, Cary Grant is out there proposing to her. <laughs> He's probably like, come on, we got to get this moving. Like... <laughs> I, I think she's going to be in a movie with, like, uh, you know, Humphrey Bogart next. I don't know. Like, hurry up, guys. <laughs> we got to lock this down. He's like, that's so great, honey. I'm so excited about the young career move. And then he immediately turns around. He's like, hurry up, guys. <laughs> it's the time to get married. She's getting some really hot parts with some really hot guys. <laughs> Have you seen the me? <laughs> I'm a twice her age and half her height. <laughs> so his lawyers come back and they're like, sir. We found a loophole. We can divorce you and Juliana and marry you and Sophia all in Mexico. You don't even need to be there. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And he's like, see, sí, see, sí, yes, Spigarsi. 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 That's Italian for hurry up, according to Google Translate. <laughs> Takes longer to say. Spigarsi. 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 We got we a Spigarsi with I this know, episode. Right? <laughs> so... They just do it. It's September 17th, right before Sophia's 25th birthday. And neither of them had even gotten the official word that the marriage had gone through before they read it in a gossip column that next morning. Weird. <laughs> so, even... Hey, honey, have you heard? We're married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's right here on page three. <laughs> so even Carlo was surprised it finally happened. 
they return to Italy and they go to Capri to celebrate both occasions, their wedding and her 25th birthday. Ugh. I'd love to go to Capri to celebrate my freaking birthday. Well, we did go to Capri to celebrate our freaking wedding. That's true. So that's something. That's true. In fact, let's take a little break here and reminisce. Let's take a little reminiscence break about our uh, amazing honeymoon where we got to spend a, a day in on the Isle of Capri. That's true. Because we were staying on Sorrento. Sorrento, one of my favorite places in the world. Yes. You ever get to go there? Really gorgeous. Yeah. And we went to Pompeii one day. And mm-hmm. then another day we went to Capri. Capri. We took a little boat ride out. We had this bed and breakfast we were staying in. Uh, it was incredible. And they were so nice. Barbara, maybe the best cappuccino I ever had. Uh. Um, so good. The breakfast was so good was every morning. And she was kind of a grumpy Polish lady, but she was awesome. It was perfect. It was, perfect. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> and uh, we got to take a boat ride out to Capri, which is this little island off the coast of Naples. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible. It's just this tiny little village, um, these cliffs. We got to we got to swim. The water was amazing. It was cold. It was but cold it was, because it was, was the middle of October. But Well, yeah. But it was so clear. Oh, my God. It was a beautiful color. Yes. I mean, you had to get in because it's the Mediterranean. To. Yeah. Like, what? We're like, like, not get in. We were. I remember us shivering in the water being oh, like, yeah. but we have to swim in the Mediterranean. We'll enjoy this. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> also, just to tangent off on this a little bit. Capri is known for their limoncello, mm-hmm. which is a lemon-flavored liqueur. It's very thick and sweet. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, Diana, why don't you tell us about limoncello? <laughs> um, I mean, I vomited. Does that help? <laughs> she hates it. <laughs> I didn't she vomit. It. But I really do hate the taste of it. It's it just awful, heinous. I don't understand the point of it. <laughs> Horrible in every way. The Americans that we were on the boat trip with, at one point we all had lunch together, and one of them bought a round of limoncello shots for everyone, or whatever. It's like a treat for everyone. It was so nice, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. We took it, and I was like, oh. <laughs> that was my first taste. It. I was like, I am so grossed out. Uh-huh. I think I had to finish yours. Uh, I think so, because I was trying to be polite, and right. I'm like, you know, for me, it's like if someone gets you something, you kind of have to finish it. Yeah. Like, it's really rude to not. <laughs> so I was like trying so hard. <laughs> I was so gross. And then we get back on the boat, and everything's great, and the captain takes us back to to uh, our port, you know, so into Sorrento or whatever to get on the van back to where we go, wherever we're staying. And as we pull up to port, he's like, and now a complimentary shot of limoncello for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Diana just turns green. Like, I think what do I, I, do? I, I, I might have done like a sitcom thing where I straight up threw it over threw it my shoulder, shoulder into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it plays in my head. For I may sure. have done that literally, <laughs> but it was such an amazing time. I would definitely drink limoncello again if that was the cost of going to Capri. <laughs> I would do it. I really, if I could devote myself to a cause, it would be to provide travel mm-hmm. to everyone. I mean, everybody should be able to travel. You know, we were able to do it for this honeymoon because we did like a honey fund, mm-hmm. where we just collected money instead of gifts. Yes, and that was and that was everything we wanted. We didn't need stuff. We just wanted to take a trip. And we were able to take this amazing trip. And I just wish everyone could do that. Yeah. Um, because it's not fair that people can't. And this, if if you if you get the chance um, to ever go to Italy, uh, I I highly recommend Sorrento. I loved it. It is it is a beach town. I mean, not like Florida. It is it, but it is it, it very heavily. Yeah, it's very heavily frequented by British tourists, especially. But 
it because it's remarkable. I it's mean, gorgeous. Yeah. The food is some of the best food I've oh, ever eaten God. in my life. I'm still thinking about this caprese salad. Like <laughs> a salad, you guys. I'm dreaming of it. And message us. We'll give you the name of the um, of the B and B that we stayed at. We got to look it up. But yeah, uh, but they it was were so awesome. cool. And the rooms were so beautiful. Yes. Yeah, that, that yeah. was just an amazing trip. And yeah, for us, we didn't need dishes and stuff. We'd already right. lived together for a few years and stuff. And it it Insane. was the greatest gift that we could have gotten because yeah. we had such an incredible start to our marriage. Mm-hmm. It was such, I guess you could say a life-changing trip in yeah, a lot of ways absolutely. because it was just so, it was long and involved. We had to plan it out really well and work really well together. Mm-hmm. There were times when there was no one else spoke English, so it yep. was just the two of us. You you may have heard, I think I told this story before, that my phone was stolen on day two yeah. of our 30-day Yep time uh, in Europe. So we had to learn how to work with one phone (laughs) between us, which meant we didn't spend a lot of time on the phone, which was nice. Yeah. And and again, it's just lifelong memories that we have together now that that just cannot be replaced, you know, unlike a piece of china or a pot or a comforter or something, which eventually you will replace with something else. So anyway, I would just say if you're hesitating and you want to do something like that, just do it and explain that to anyone who feels badly about it. Because right. It really is just it's so worth it. It's yeah. so worth it. Yeah. It's really, really amazing. And that was a, an amazing trip and we will never stop talking about it. Yes, we will never stop. <laughs> but we're going to at least pause talking about it so we can get right. back to the story. Yeah. The marriage um, we really care about, which is <laughs> Sophia Loren <laughs> and Carlo Ponti. So, yeah, they had no official, like, white dress ceremony, but legally, Sophia was finally married to the man she loved. Yay. Yay, triumph. And they celebrated in their private bungalow with a nice dinner, and they finally relaxed into this true, like, honeymoon phase of their relationship. Awesome. But it was all cut short, because a month later, they learned that Pope John XXIII, who was widely seen as a very liberal pope, said their divorce and marriage would not be recognized. Wow. The official Vatican newspaper posted an article that the marriage of an anonymous, quote, young, beautiful Italian film actress. So everyone was like, let me put two and two together. Uh It's Jake Gyllenhaal. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They said the marriage was illegal. And if they lived together, they could be arrested. And the pope threatened them with excommunication from the church and said they faced eternal damnation. So despite finally getting the marriage she always wanted, Sophia said this was the saddest day of her life. That's awful. Which, of course, it is if you're like, I'm just in love with someone and he's not in love with her anymore, but you want us all to be unhappy or else I have to go to hell. Right. Right. Thanks, Pope. Wow. I feel so comforted by religion. (laughs) My comfort. (laughs) Thank goodness I devoted my life to this. (laughs) The comfort of religion. (laughs) Oh, jeez. And then in steps this week's Villain of the Week, Luisa Brambilla. Luisa. Luisa is, nope, just just somebody. She's just this random housewife from Milan. But she felt like this kind of seedy promiscuity was going to tear the country apart. And under Italian law, any citizen may bring criminal charges against any other Italian citizen. So she went ahead, took it upon her own damn self, to file bigamy charges against the Pontis. 
what a Karen of her time. <laughs> right? <laughs> a Louisa. You think that everyone was like, another Louisa walked in today. <laughs> Boy, you're being a Asking real Louisa. Asking for the manager. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Asking for the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to speak to your Pope, please. <laughs> I have some bigamy charges to file. <laughs> so Carlo and Sophia were effectively forced into exile. They had to leave the country because they were having these charges leveled against them, like serious charges. So they moved around for years. They would rent houses in France or in Switzerland. And Sophia missed Italy so badly that Carlo would drive her to the top of a pass in the Swiss Alps just so she could look down over her home country and get a glimpse at it. It kind of makes me want to cry. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> That's so sad. She, she loved Italy. I mean, she'd already turned down other opportunities so that she could be in her home with the person she loved. That's all she ever wanted. Man. In 1962, Ponti's lawyers found out that the Mexican marriage that they had wasn't legal there either because they hadn't had any witnesses at the proxy wedding. So, oh, so it wasn't legal in Mexico yeah, or anywhere. Yeah, like uh, this, this was totally invalid. Oh, shit. Oh, okay. And this actually kind of worked in their favor. I mean, sort of, like... Mm-hmm. You know, if you can call it that, because their marriage was annulled right. and they were able to move back to Rome because the bigamy charges weren't really there. But they still had the threat of arrest if they were living together. So they had to sneak around. They had to spend nights at Sophia's mother, Romilda's apartment, or they had to rent homes under secret names. They had to come and go separately to events. They couldn't be seen together alone in public ever. If they were going to the same dinner, one of them would have to show up first and the other would have to hang back and come later and they'd have to leave at separate times. They just, if at any point it looked like they were a couple in public, they could be arrested. That's nuts. Yeah. And they lived like this for four years, which is. I mean, it sounds intolerable for even one year, right. like four years, like so frustrating. She later said, quote, I wanted to be his wife and have his children. We had done the best the law would allow to make it official, but they were calling us public sinners. We should have been taking a honeymoon. But all I remember is weeping for hours. Oh, it's awful. It's so sad. Poor woman. All she wanted was this wedding. And now she's, you know, in tears. Right. And again, literally, like, no one is getting hurt here by the divorce and remarriage. The only people getting hurt are by you being so strict about human nature. Uh So Pope John XXIII died of stomach cancer in 1963. Uh, So maybe, maybe. But his successor, Paul VI, reiterated the same outrageous accusations against them. Uh, Two popes. Two popes. Two popes. Oh, one, two, Pope stand before oh, you no. and condemn your marriage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, well. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've all got that in your head for the next 15 days. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like someone's going to lodge bigamy charges against me. <laughs> so, yeah, they just really did not know what to do because, I mean, one Pope is something. And then you get a second Pope being right. like, actually, no, I still think this sucks. I'm like, what the hell? And Sophia was worried she'd never get the happily married life she always wanted, that they'd always have to live in these separate lodgings and do all this weird shit to be together. But then help came from a strange ally, Juliana Fiastri, Carlos's ex-wife. Oh, what's she doing? Um, Or current wife, if you ask the Pope, I guess. Oh, yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, she walks in, she's like, look, 
Here's what we're gonna do. <laughs> we're all gonna move to France. We're going to get French citizenship. Then we're going to get a real-ass divorce. Y'all can get a real-ass marriage. Packing your shit. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, she had, she had the plan. I love and it. And she, with them, all three of them, moved to France and applied for French citizenship. And sure enough, French President Georges Pompidou personally approved their citizenship. Wow. And France granted Carlo and Juliana an official, real-life, in-person divorce. And then in 1966, in a small, discreet ceremony officiated by the mayor of Sèvres, mm. Sophia and Carlo were wed once again. And this time, all the T's were crossed, all the I's were dotted, all the pizzas were pepperonied. <laughs> uh, it was universally recognized. There was nothing anybody could say or do. They were finally able to return to Italy in peace. And yeah, now they're married. They're happily married. They had two sons together, Carlo Ponti Jr. in 1968 and Eduardo Ponti in 1973. And both of them, Carlo and Sofia, continued to dominate in the film industry. In 1960, Sofia was offered the role of the daughter in an Italian film called Two Women, which Carlo was producing. It was a mother-daughter story about women in a war-torn village in Italy, something obviously Sophia could very easily relate to. She yeah. literally was a daughter in a war-torn <laughs> village in Italy. I think she's going through the script like, mm, this isn't accurate. Right, yeah. It's actually a car radiator. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but the woman who was playing the mother, who was an older famed Italian actress, uh, she backed out. Because Sophia Loren was too tall. She felt like it would look ridiculous if she was looking up at her daughter for the oh. whole movie. She thought it, people wouldn't take it seriously. It'd just be funny. Hmm. And she's like, you know, this the mother's supposed to be 50. The daughter's supposed to be maybe in her late 20s or so. And she totally withdrew from the project. On her way out, she joked, ah, you ought to get Sophia to play the mother. And the producers were like, uh, yeah, that's a good idea. That's, that sounds pretty good to me. And they rewrote the part as a younger 30-year-old widow with an 18-year-old daughter. Yeah. And with Sophia as the mother now. Yeah. And remember, she's mostly known for comedies. So this was also her big dramatic turn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the bombing raids, the starvation, being trapped in bomb shelters. I mean, Sophia is basically playing her own mother. Yeah. And she drew from her experience to pull off an incredible performance. Sophia herself later said, quote, Before I made two women, I was a performer. Afterward, I was an actress. And she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. She was up against Audrey Hepburn for Breakfast at Tiffany's and Natalie Wood for Splendor in the Grass. Oof. I mean, among other nominees. Yeah, those are big names. Yeah, exactly. So she basically was like, oh, I'm very honored, but like, there's no way I'm going to win. I know. That'd be like me walking in today and they're like, uh, OK, so you're nominated, but you're up against... You know, Meryl Streep and Lupita Nyong'o. And I'd be like, all right, well, A, how did I get how? in this category? <laughs> and well, B. What did we all compete in? <laughs> yes. And B, I, I'll be staying home mm -hmm. that night. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and go. Thank you so much. Uh -huh. And yeah, she was kind of like, it's going to take a lot for me to travel to California from Italy for, you know, the award ceremony. So she skipped it saying, I didn't think I was going to win. If I win, I'm going to faint, and I think I better faint at home than on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Valid. <laughs> Valid. Yeah. 
She stayed up late waiting for a call about the results, knowing full well that it wouldn't happen. But she had the time change wrong in her head. Totally appreciate that. Oh, it's sure. so, so hard <laughs> for me track. to calculate. I cannot tell you uh-huh. how many dumb mistakes I've made. <laughs> so she went to sleep at 6 a.m. thinking no news is no news. You right. know, I, it went out just exactly how I thought. Yep. One of those other amazing actresses won. Mm-hmm. And oh, well. Yeah, they weren't airing the awards in Italy at the time. So yeah. she just had to wait for word. Mm-hmm. Yep. But shortly after she fell asleep, the phone rang, and it was Cary Grant saying, Darling, have you heard? And Sophia Loren became the first woman ever to win a Best Actress Oscar for a performance in a foreign language film. Amazing. Very cool. Yeah. That was another factor, too. I'm sure she was like, Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm nominated, which is great, but I'm, it's a, you know, they never, you never win if you're not right. in an English speaking movie. Right. And then she did it. She won she anyway. Did it. But, you know, their life wasn't all glitz and glamour from here on out. They were both having huge success, but scandals followed them, too. In 1975, Carlos survived a kidnapping attempt when his car was ambushed and riddled with bullets. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know a lot about this, but I I did read that apparently this was a period of time that Italians refer to as years of lead. Oh. Which I took to mean, I guess there's just a lot of gunfire going on. Um. A second attempt to kidnap him was made later that year, also unsuccessful. So twice in one year, somebody tried to kidnap this guy, just, I assume, because he's worth a lot of money. Right. I was about to say, it's like that double-edged sword where you're like, yeah, I have money. Oh, no, now I have something someone wants to steal. (laughs) So Carlo was also charged with smuggling illegally obtained archaeological artifacts and prized artwork, including Picasso's in the 1970s, and his villa and possessions were all taken away. He was a collector, but they were like, some of these collections ain't Mm. legit. So they snatched it all up. They took it away. He was tried in absentia because he was living in France at the time, Mm. and they sentenced him to four years. But after some rumored deals with the Italian government is kind of what people think happened, he ended up getting everything back, and it was Mm -hmm. all okay. Mm -hmm. Water under the bridge. Oh, no, these... Oh, this sarcophagus actually is yours. <laughs> now that we take a closer look, it turns out uh, you have the certificate right here. Oh, what a surprise. I didn't see it. It was right here under this big stack of money. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I see what was covering it up is all this money. <laughs> Italian government uh, known for their yes. smooth and legit operation mm-hmm. in the 1970s. Sophia had actually been tried for complicity in this same case, but she was acquitted. Although she got a little trouble herself, she ended up serving 17 days out of a 30-day sentence in jail in 1982 for some light tax evasion. Oh. It was some uh, she hadn't paid on some earnings that she made in the early 80s, and I didn't take kindly to that. Mm-mm. So a little little Shakira action going on there. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> She got found out in the Panama Papers or something. <laughs> Ultimately, though, Sophia and Carlo were incredibly happy together, and they remained faithfully married until his death in 2007 at 94 years old. There you go, Carlo. I know, right? That's nice. Yeah. Lived to 90s. That's pretty good. Yeah. And one time in 1967, just a year after their marriage, she was filming a movie with Marlon Brando when he walked up and tried to get handsy with her. Ooh. And Sophia later told the story saying, quote, I turned in all tranquility 
and blew his face like a cat stroked the wrong way and said, don't you ever dare to do that again. Never again. (laughs) She said, as I pulverized him with my eyes, he seemed small, defenseless. He never did it again. But it was difficult working with him after that. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, "Uh, yeah, I I made Marlon Brando feel small somehow. (laughs) And it turns out to not help. (laughs) He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. But I I shouldn't have have done that. I should never have put my hands on you. I'll tell you what, one day and that damn day never come, you know, I'll come to you with an apology. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, can't pass up an opportunity. Oh, that's great. For a godfather voice. Yeah. I could have been a contender. You were already married and I didn't I w- didn't wait for consent. <laughs> I, I could have been a consenter. <laughs> <laughs> I could have had class. <laughs> uh, so in terms of Carlo, like his history is a little more straightforward. You can just look at his IMDb page and see all of his contributions to cinema. I mean, his his life history is just a history of film mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. He produced Fellini's La Strada and David Lean's Dr. Zhivago, huge movies. Yeah. After his death, Italian cultural minister Francesco Rutelli said, quote, Ponti embodied a great and courageous push to innovate, promoted unforgettable talents and enjoyed huge success. And Sophia continued to expand her career. In 2003, she won a Grammy Award for Best Spoken Word Album for Children in her reading of Peter and the Wolf. Wow. She's also a skilled chef, and she has written no less than three cookbooks, and I want them. Yeah. I did not know about this, but I want to make all of Sophia Loren's recipes. I'm sure a vegetarian version of them, because I bet they're loaded with beef. Oh, yeah. There's sausage all over that. Uh Uh-huh. But I bet it's good as hell. She said nobody beat her mother's eggplant, which I, I bet I bet Romilda made a hell of an eggplant oh, parmesan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I don't like eggplant, but if I liked it, I bet it's Romilda's recipe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that would make me like absolutely. it. Absolutely. She said that the only thing she ever regrets in her life is never getting her white wedding. Sophia said she still dreams of wearing a white dress and walking down the aisle because that was just the one thing she never got. Her mm-hmm. her weddings were very unceremonious in a lot of ways. They were very private and small and it was what she needed, but she didn't get that that wedding day she'd been dreaming of, you know? Yeah, totally. But she never doubted that Carlo was the right man for her. When asked in 2009, two years after his death, if she would ever marry again, she said, quote, no, never again. It would be impossible to love anyone else. And Sophia Loren, as of this recording, is alive and well. She's living, I believe, in Switzerland. She is 87 years old. She's got an IMDb credit from last year, so she's doing it. Nice. She's she's out there, and she's amazing. I'd also live in Switzerland, by the way. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> by the way, I would also live in Switzerland. So an incredible yeah. epic romance uh, spanning continents and just, like, you know, defying religious authoritarianism right. and all of these conventions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we dabbled a little earlier in the age difference, which of course right. is something to be said. Didn't didn't matter as much when he was 94 and she was 73. <laughs> but um, True. But there is definitely a question there about like you know, he was he was a middle-aged dude more or less. I mean, he mm-hmm. was in his late 30s 
I mean, I met a 16-year-old and was like, I'm going to start teaching you all the ins and outs of the business. I mean, you're almost 37. Yeah. And you, I mean, if you met a 16-year-old right now. I would, I would leave because I don't, you know, I, I don't understand teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly wouldn't offer to give one guidance. I'd be terrible for that. No, right. <laughs> You'd be like, you should really get some guidance from someone else. <laughs> yeah. Someone who's... Uh, uh, both trained and authorized to give you guidance. Yes. <laughs> Just not me. Not I. But what, what can we say? They they were extremely happy together. They fought very hard to stay together That's their whole true. lives. It's true. Yeah. And so, it, com- it comes to a point where it's very difficult because you want to take stock and, and kind of go, well, what pressures were brought to bear on someone, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, were were they broken down by this person and made vulnerable and mm-hmm. then therefore he was able to swoop in and be the only safety or something. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. kind of cornering of someone. Did he take advantage of the fact that she needed a father figure and right. someone to, right. you know, to show her the way? Yeah. But it also is hard to invalidate someone's love and some people do fall in love incongruously all the time and sometimes it's age and sometimes it's culture totally different cultures or religions or something you know what i mean that seem insurmountable but you fall in love right and then you find a way to surmount and knowing people who have suffered at the hands of Mm -hmm. older especially young girls who dated older men Mm -hmm. and were traumatized for life by it, Mm -hmm. uh, whether, you know, that was the man's intention or not. uh, You know, I think what I take from these stories is you've got to be really skeptical and cautious about these age gaps, Mm -hmm. but also sometimes people love each other and they're happy and that's all that matters. It's true. Um, and I mean, he's dead and she could be saying now, like, now oh, yeah. that he's dead, I can tell ever the world the truth or right. whatever. And she's not. She's not traumatized for life. Right. She still remembers him very lovingly yep. and fondly and everything. So it feels, yep. it seems like it was, pr- you know, pretty on the up and up. Yeah. As, seems like it. As much as it could be. He never threw acid in her face. Well. You know? You know, our bar gets kind of low sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> true. But uh, I hope that y'all enjoyed this story. I hope you found it as kind of fascinating and beautiful as I did. I loved it. I didn't know anything about Sophia Loren. No, me either. I just knew, you know, Sophia Loren. I think the first thing I saw her in was grumpier old men. Oh, sure. Uh, she yeah. was a romantic interest in that. <laughs> That's right. She was hilarious. She's kind of a femme fatale, I think, in that one. I don't remember it too well, but. That's funny. Um, I never. I didn't think about that, but that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and you just know who she is. Like, you know who Marilyn Monroe is or something right. like that. Right. But... She's a famous pretty lady. That's right. what I know about her. So it's cool to, like, learn all this crazy oh. background about her childhood yeah. being so difficult and all this stuff. Like, that's really amazing. What an interesting lady. Really interesting. What a life. I think that's part of it, too. You know, sometimes we're really sold on someone who's just like, oh, you're a pretty person who lives as a celebrity. Everything has been given to you on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reality is that people have way more dimension than that, almost always. Yeah. And, you know, when you start to dig in and learn about them, you never know what you're going to find. And you might be really fascinated and and empathize with them. I've, you know, look, no doubt that in a a net scale, Sophia Loren probably had an easier life in a lot of ways than either of us or most of our listeners will ever have because she had, you know, 
access to so much. Yeah. But at the same time, like she also suffered in ways that I can't imagine and struggled uh, and fought hard to Mm -hmm. get to where she was. Well, and it's just like getting rich. You know, you're like, yeah, I'm rich. Now I have something people want to steal. It's sort of like, oh, it's so great to be beautiful. People like pretty people and they want to help them but also now I have something that can be exploited that can be used against me I mean just and everything everything has its its other side of its coin I guess right say I feel that every day I I I met with that struggle you know I'm I'm wasted on audio (laughs) (laughs) I have a face for movies damn it (laughs) I want to be 60 feet tall (laughs) one day one day We'll get you there. Yeah. Did you see that Simu Liu and Barry Kyogen, however you say his last name, who plays Druig in The Eternals, mm-hmm. both of them years and years ago tweeted, hey, Marvel, put me in a movie. Wasn't it specific characters? Was with, it, I mean, with Simu, Simu Liu, it was, it was specifically, specifically for Shang-Chi. I should play Shang-Chi. Yeah. yeah. But uh, this guy just said, put me in a Marvel movie, and now he's Druig in The Eternals. Okay, well, I guess I need to tweet, put me in a Marvel movie. I know. Well, now it's like buying a collectible. You know, like once everyone does it, it's not worth anything <laughs> <That's> anymore. That's true. <laughs> you got to do it before anyone thinks about it. I really, I just want the, I just want the routine. I just want the, the nutritionists and the and the personal trainers. Yeah, right. And everything. That'd I want to be, be beaten into submission until I have, you know, until I look like uh I was going to say Kumail Nanjiani, but I'll never look like Kumail Nanjiani <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yeah, there's quite a few steps between you and Kumail. Honestly, you know what? This happened to me this week. Um, I was mistook you for Kumail Nanjiani. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that still never has and never will happen. No, what happened to me was I had a, I had a bit of a rough patch because for, for years since Ant-Man, I've been saying, you know what? My ideal body type is just Paul Rudd. Mm-hmm. He he keeps it tight. He's in shape. It's not Chris Hemsworth. That's absurd and right. takes a full-time devotion mm-hmm. and is unrealistic of anyone to try and achieve. But Paul Rudd, I can do. And then they made him Sexiest Man Alive. And I'm like, that. you know what? You just raised the bar. <laughs> now I can't do it's it. It's just, you know what I mean. It made it seem oh, less attainable. Yeah. Now he's like, whose body do you want? Oh, just the Sexiest Man Alive's body. Oh, great. Like, That's oh. easy. So now I got to, now I'm like, okay, maybe, um, you know, Mark Ruffalo is still a pretty good bar too. There you go, you Mark know, Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo, he's in shape, uh-huh. but it's not, it's not ridiculous. How about like Randall Park? Healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Just be Randall Park. Yeah. Have Randall Park. I feel Park's like that body. might be where I am right now. I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe so. He, he might've gotten shape for always be my maybe. Well, look, before we get too into <laughs> ranking the bodies of the men in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> gross. <laughs> We're so gross. We should probably get out of here. That's true. So thank you so much for tuning in for this episode. Always. I hope you loved it. Please, mm-hmm. as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts, your feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ever met Sophia Loren, oh, <laughs> please tell please us. Please tell us. Um, that would be amazing. Yeah. You can reach out by email to romance at iheartmedia.com. Yes, or you can find us on the social medias, Ooh. specifically Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Oh Great, It's Eli. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And you can find the show at Ridic Romance. Don't forget to rate and review and all that good stuff. Yes. Uh, we hope to hear from you soon, and we will see you with another hot and sexy episode yeah. uh, later this week. Can't wait. Love you. Bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4, 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Work.